Hey, good morning. It's me, Chris Vogus, Next Gen Pastor, Middle School Pastor, and Lion King fan, I guess, with the shirt. Um, so uh, today, we're going to continue our series. We've been in this series on Proverbs uh, for the last couple of weeks. We're going to be in Proverbs 7 today. Uh, the, sometimes Proverbs 7 is called the seductive woman. Um, let me explain a little bit about that because sometimes people are like, well, women, men can be seductive too. Well, that stance wasn't supposed to indicate seductiveness. I don't know what that was. Um, but, and that's true. But Solomon, who wrote this, was writing to his sons, all right? So Solomon, I mean, all right, you look at Solomon's life and you're like, is he really the one you want to give advice on relationships and sexual relationships and things like that? Is, is he really the guy for this? Because he messed up a lot. I mean, we could go through, but I'm not, that's a whole nother sermon. Um, but he had like a thousand wives, like that's a lot, right? And so he's got a lot of stuff going that doesn't need to be happening. But that doesn't mean he doesn't give good advice, because sometimes people who do the worst things are the best ones to tell you how not to do that, right? And, and that's not true in every case, but I think in Solomon's case, he had the wisdom. He just had trouble abiding by it. Solomon, Solomon knew what was wise. He just had trouble kind of following through and doing it. And, and those are two different things, right? Um, and so Solomon is sharing this with his, he wants his son to know how to avoid or what temptations to avoid. And so he gives him this passage, this uh, proverb, and this is a really interesting proverb because this is one of the few proverbs um, that is a story. Uh, and this is cool. The cool thing about proverbs is that you can read through proverbs and every time I read proverbs, um, I get something, you know? I read something and I go, oh, Yes, I need to live by that. The hard thing as a pastor, as a teacher, is it's really hard to add two Proverbs, you know? It's hard to teach something because it's all there, you know? It's there. He said it in two lines, and now I'm going to tell it to you in half an hour. That's weird to me, right? Like, I'm going to make it really long. But this one, I think he tells this whole story that we can glean a lot of stuff from that's not necessarily directly said in the story, all right? So we're going to read Proverbs 7, and it's going to be up on the screen. I'm going to read it off the screen because I don't have this whole proverb memorized. Um, my son, keep my words, treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend. Keep you, to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. For at the window of my house, I have looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple, not the mean, not the evil, but the simple, I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house. In the, in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud 
and wayward, her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner, she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices today, and, to, and today I've paid my vows. So now I've come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian, from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home and has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him, and at full moon he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. I love at the end, right before he gets to that, he says, listen to my words. He's saying, listen to what I say. Don't look at what I've done. Listen to what I'm saying here. This is important. And, and I also... I find this passage really interesting because we are all the way in verse 22 when he does the first thing that we would say is wrong, where he steps over that line of right and wrong, because that's when he follows her into the house. Before that, he was just walking down the street, right? He was just having a conversation with someone. That's not wrong, right? It's not a wrong thing to do. He, he didn't actually do wrong until he went in the house with her, right? But here's the problem. The problem with moral failure like that is it never starts with the wrong thing. It never starts at that line. And, and we ask that question a lot, right, where we say, what's the line between right and wrong? The problem is when we ask that question, we then follow it up with the next question, which is, how far over the line can I go before I get caught? Right? And the problem with that question is, the only answer to that is to get caught. Right? So look at this. We want to avoid, pull out your, if you don't have your notes out, you want to pull them out, pull something to write with. But look at this first thing. We want to avoid the direction, not just the destination. We want to avoid the direction, not just the destination. If this young man had not even gone down the street, he wouldn't have had to worry about what happens in verse 22. If he hadn't been walking around after dark, he wouldn't have had to be worried about what happens in verse 22, because that would have taken care of itself. I, I want to show you a picture that helps explain this. This is uh, eight-year-old Chris, Cub Scout, on my honor, 
I will do my best. Uh, my sister Anne, some of you know Anne, uh, and my little sister Beth, or Boo as we call her. Um, so this is me. We, we had rules at our house. I was the older brother. I was the good boy. I did all the right things. You can ask my parents. I was a good boy. But I will admit, I did antagonize my sisters. I feel like that was not only my right, but my responsibility as an older brother. It is to protect my younger sisters and to antagonize my younger sisters. Both those things have to happen, right? And so we had this rule at our house. We had this thing called permission. Some of you may know what permission is, but if you don't, let me explain. I was not allowed to go into their room without permission. If I wanted to go in, I had to stop at the door and say, can I have permission? And they would say yes, or they would say no, right? If they wanted to come in my room, they had to ask for permission. So when they would say no, and I didn't feel like walking away, I would put my toes right to the carpet line. You know what I mean? You know, you know, the carpet line. And then they'd be like, don't come in. And I'd be like, I'm not in. And they're like, okay. And then I'd grab the door frame and I'd lean in, like as far as I could, right? Like lean in all the way. And they're like, get out, you're in the room. No, I'm not in the room. I'm not in the room. You're breathing our air. It's not your air. Everybody gets the same air. You know, this air has been breathed for millions of years. They're like, it's, it's, it's everybody's air. And so then they would do what they should have. They would come over and start pounding on my knuckles and grabbing my arms and trying to rip my arms away, not push me out, because they were smarter than that. They weren't going to push me out. They would drag me down into the room, right, where my momentum was already going to take me. They would drag me into the room, and eventually, either by their efforts or sometimes just because I felt like it, I would let go, and I would fall into the room, right? Then they would begin to scream, Chris is in our room without permission. And then I would begin to yell, they drug me in here. Right? And so we, we, some of you, you laugh because you did this and you know exactly the mechanics of this. But, but here's the deal. We were both right. Right? I was completely right on the line of right and wrong. I was on the right, right side of the line. And when they pulled me in, they made me fall past the line. Or I let myself fall past the line, right? But here's the deal. If I had been just walking down the hall, if I had been in my own room, I never would have violated permission, right? So with this guy, if he hadn't been walking in the direction of the woman's house, if he hadn't been out, in the twilight, in the evening, when he knew she would be there. There'd be no problem. He never would have even come to that line of right and wrong. See, here's the problem. We draw the line right there at right and wrong, and we should draw the line back here at what's going to lead me to that, right? Because once you get on that pathway, you get some momentum going, you're leaned into the room, and when you fall, you're going to fall over the line. And I will throw this out. A lot of times we use, uh, we use a word 
that I think is, is a dangerous word. And if you're using this word, then, then you might be in a dangerous place as far as moral failure. When you use the word harmless to describe something that has to do with the sexual relationship, then you're probably in a bad place. If you say, oh, I look at some pornography every now and then, but it's harmless. It doesn't hurt anyone. By the way, you should know that around 87% of the women that you see in pornography are actually slaves. They, they, they don't have any wherewithal in whether they do that or not. So just know that, just know that, that that's what you're, it is harmful. <laughs> Somebody's being harmed, it's not harmless. But number two, it harms you. It, it leaves, it leaves a, a mark, it's not harmless. If you say, oh, well, I flirt with this woman at work, I flirt with this man at work, we talk about stuff, and, but it's harmless. It's not, you're walking down the road that leads to the house right? It's not harmless. And, and, and here's the thing too. I want, want you to think about this. You need to guard your downtimes, right? Guard your downtimes, which is, which is to say that's a lot of different time, times for different people. But for some people, it's when you're alone. For some people, it's just when you don't really have much to do and you're trying to fill time. Those times where you're not you're not intentionally trying to, to move forward in your faith or in your job or in your whatever. Those times, it's easy to get pulled into a different place. You guys, you guys know what it's like. Like even when you're, you're doing internet, you're on the internet and you're looking something up, but then you look up something else and then you look up something else. And then before you know it, you're down that rabbit hole and it's three hours later and you're at a site that has nothing to do with the first site you looked at. But sometimes those lead to places you don't want to go. And, and, and so just understand, we want to avoid the direction, not just the destination. We want to guard our downtimes. Remember, it's not about good or evil. It's about wisdom. Okay? It's not about right and wrong. It's about wisdom. See, because that guy, that guy in the story, he wasn't evil. He was dumb. That's what the story says. The story says he lacked wisdom. He was dumb. And so I think sometimes we're like, oh yeah, well I'm not doing anything wrong, but are you being smart? And, and so that's the question to ask. Think about that. Here's the other thing too. Sometimes we talk about fighting against temptation, right? But we don't need to fight against temptation. We need to run from them, right? Because when we get to the point where we're fighting with temptation, we're already in. The temptation is already there. You're already at that line when you start fighting with temptation. When my sisters are dragging on my arms, I've already crossed the line. I'm already there. Again, if I'm just walking down the hall, nothing happens. Right? So we need to make sure that we are not just saying, oh, I'm going to fight against temptation every day. Instead, go absolutely the opposite direction from the temptation, okay? Now, here, here I, want, I want you guys to understand, I, I believe everybody in this room is in one of three places today, right? You're either, you don't have any of this going on there, you, you don't really have any, 
you, you, don't, you don't have any temptation, any risk, any sexual temptation going on in your life, which there's probably three of you in this room, I would say. In our culture, I would say you're, you're a rare person. But you need to understand it's going to come at some point. Then a lot of you, you're in it right now. There are things that are tempting you. There are temptations in your life. There are people in your life that, that are tempting to you, whatever. There are things in your life that are tempting to you. And, and you need to understand that you should start drawing those lines of wisdom and start stepping back from that line of right and wrong and move into a safer place. And then some of you, you've already gone over the line. And, and I want to talk to you guys at the end a little bit and, and try to give you some hope and some help, something to think about, all right? But, uh, but all of us need to remember these next few things. And when, no matter which place you're in, if you say, I don't really have any temptation going on in my life right now, if you say, I have temptation that I'm dealing with and I'm trying to deal with, I'm trying to get past, or you say, I'm completely in it, then here's the things you need to remember. Number one, look at this. You need to avoid counterfeits. I, I want you guys to understand this. We talk about love in our society, and we don't, the way we talk about it is, is insulting to the word, right? Because I talk to teenagers a lot, and we talk about the idea, I, I've talked to some teenagers, and they say, yeah, you know, I, I slept with my girlfriend, I slept with my boyfriend, but we're in love. If you are not married to the person you are sleeping with, you do not love them, and they do not love you. I know. You want to argue with me, some of you are like, no, no, that's not true. It's absolutely true because love commits to the other person's well-being and the other person's best life. If you are not committed to that person in that way, then what you are doing is self-seeking. Look it up. Love is not self-seeking. It's not selfish. It's not getting what it wants. And you say, no, no, we're in love. Look, either one of you could walk away from the other tomorrow with no repercussions whatsoever except the emotional um, instability that comes from that. You are not committed to the other person in any way except that you're having sex. So you are more committed to your own selfishness than you are to that other person. And I, I, I know some of you are like, Chris, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're saying. Okay. Fine. Uh, you, you can take from that what you want, but I'm telling you, that is the truth of it. When you look at what Scripture has to say, when you look at the way relationships work, if you are in a relationship with someone who you are not committed to in a marriage relationship, then you're being selfish. And they're being selfish too. I mean, you're being selfish with each other. So it's, it's at least fair but it's not love. I think it's unfair to call it love. It's unfair to love to call it love. So avoid counterfeits. Build relationships. You, you, you know, last week, Casey talked about a wise relationships, but those relationships aren't just friendships. Those are with people of the opposite 
sex. When, when, if you're not married in here and you're like, well, I, what does love look like? Read Casey's notes from last week. Go back because it's talking about like moving the same direction, wanting the same things from God, being able to lift each other up. That's what, that's what it looks like, right? Sex is the last thing on that list. And, and so here, make sure that you're, you're doing that. You're avoiding counterfeits. Know this too. If you think you have this beat, then you're beaten. If you're in that first place, you, you don't have any sexual temptation in your life right now, and you go, yeah, I got this under control. I'm just telling you, you are about to fall hard somewhere. Because if you think you've got this beat in the world that we live in, then you're already beaten. You can't walk through, you can't walk through the checkout line, right? Without sexual temptation looking at you. I mean, we live in a, in a, a completely oversexed world, a world that, that puts this value on sex that, that's really not supposed to be there. Sex is supposed to be a result of another relationship, not the relationship, right? If you think you've got it beat, then you're beaten. Ask yourself, are you celebrating victory before the war is over? Now, the last thing is if you are in that kind of relationship, you need to remember this. And if you're not, if you're not, you need to remember it too. The end of that relationship is going to be sudden, shocking, and never worth the fun. I just watched um, a miniseries that's on HBO. It's really cool called Chernobyl. Anybody watch that? Like, anybody want to admit they have HBO? All right, <laughs> okay. So, uh, Chernobyl, I remember Chernobyl. I was, in, I was a, a freshman in college when it happened. I remember how scary it was, but it wasn't super scary. The reason it wasn't super scary, I found out because of watching this show, is because the Russians didn't tell us what was really happening. <laughs> you know, the Russians said 31 people died and it was more like 3,000, right? And so because of that, uh, you know, I, people weren't worried in the way they should have been. Um, this is not a spoiler, but at the end, the last episode, I, I thought the show, it was a good show. I was okay, but I was watching like one a week. I wasn't like super into it. It wasn't, I wasn't binging it, but, but la yesterday I watched the last episode. And if I had known how good the last episode was going to be, I would have binged it because the last episode was amazing. And the last episode is a trial, and they're putting on trial the, guy, the guys who they're saying are responsible for the explosion. By the way, if you don't know what Chernobyl is, Chernobyl was a nuclear power plant in Russia that exploded, exploded, um, and spilled radiation for like 60 miles around, like deadly radiation for 60 miles. But it, it was, they were picking up radiation all the way in like Sweden. Like it, it was all over Europe. So, um, but anyway, so in the trial, they, they find, they say, these guys are responsible, but they tell them they, they had hit this one button that's supposed to shut down the reactor, right? That's what they had been trained, that they hit, hit this AZ-5, they said AZ-5 because they're all English, but AZ-5 button and the reactor will shut down, Right? And they thought that it would shut down when they hit it, but instead, when they hit that button, 
those rods, these boron rods that are supposed to slow down the reaction, they go into the cylinders where they're supposed to go, where the reaction is happening, but they are tipped with something not boron. They're tipped with graphite. Graphite speeds the reaction. So when those rods go in, for just that one moment, they speed up the reaction. But since the reaction was so high, it explodes. So when they hit that button, they explode a nuclear bomb. It's putting off radiation like a thousand Hiroshima's. But the reason they hit the button is because they didn't know that there was graphite on the end of the rods. Because the Russian government didn't tell them. The Russian government knew it was dangerous. They knew it could explode. It, it had almost done it or had done it on a lower scale at another plant, but they blacked, they blacked it out. They wouldn't release that information, so they didn't tell them the truth. And the reason that it had graphite on the ends of the rods is because they were cheaper. So not only did they not tell them that it could happen, but they had cut corners and led to it happening. And so this scientist is standing up and he's saying, this is what happened, these are the choices they made, and everything. And he says, but all of those choices could have been alleviated and negated if that button had worked the way it was supposed to, the way they thought it would. But the lies that they had heard before had led them to believe that they could still cancel it out. And what he says, this speech blew my mind. I had to rewind it a couple of times because I was like, I've got, to talk, I've got to talk about this tomorrow. He said this, every lie we tell incurs a debt to the truth. Whew. That should be in Proverbs. Sooner or later, that debt is paid. That is how an RBMK reactor core explodes. Lies. And let me tell you this, when we're in that process, when we're making these, these terrible decisions, these bad choices over and over, we're layering lie upon lie upon lie. And that's what makes it so much more dangerous. Because eventually, that debt will be paid. And that ending will be sudden, shocking, and never worth the fun that ending will be a nuclear explosion in your life. Now, some of you, you're already there, though, and, and you're in that place, and you know you don't want to be. And um, let me tell you a story, another story real quick. Uh, so uh, several years ago, I used to do this trip with uh, middle schoolers when I was at another church where we would go rafting, rock climbing, and rappelling, and caving. So all the greatest fears <laughs> that we have, right? Water, heights, enclosed spaces. So there was this cave that we went in. It was really cool because it only had one way in, one way out, so you couldn't get lost. But there was one tunnel that they told us, don't go in that tunnel without a, the guide. The guide will make sure, will kind of guide you, because they're a guide, right? And the tunnel was called uh, the devil's blank hole, right? <laughs> no blank, but you know what I mean. And it was tight. So here's a, here's a slide. That is not it. That is a tight crawl 
but the, the tunnel I was in, this tunnel was tighter than that. This tunnel was so tight you couldn't wear a helmet because it would get caught. When you got into the tunnel, you had to turn your head sideways and you had to position your hands where you wanted them because you weren't going to be able to move once you got into it. It's about 40 feet long and it's downhill. So the first year I didn't do it because I was like, no way, this thing is too tight and some of the kids didn't want to do it, so I didn't do it. And I watched people as they came up out of that tunnel and the look on their faces of relief as they saw me. But for some reason, I forgot it. And then the next year, when it came time to go down the devil's hole, I said, yeah, I'll go. And so I get in, and I start, like, scooting, and it's tight, I'm telling you. It's super tight. Like, I can feel it rubbing against my chest and my back in places. And I'm inching down the hole, and you can really only go, like, as much as your heels and your toes can grab, right? But when you're going down, what I didn't realize, there's an incline, so gravity is helping me go down there. And so I finally get down to the bottom, and it opens out into this room. The room's not that great. I mean, it, it was interesting. It had some graffiti and stuff like that, and we were looking at it. And then it came time to climb back out. So he says, our guide says, oh, by the way, stay on the right because if you go to the left, there's a little side tunnel that you wouldn't have hit on the way down because it's angled up. So you wouldn't have hit it on the way down, but if you hit it on the way back up, you're going to have to back up. And understand, like, we start going up that tunnel, and it's so tight that every now and then, as I'm going up, my head hits the shoes of the person ahead of me. And then when that happens, the head of the person behind me hits my shoes. And they start asking, what's going on? Because we can't hear each other because it's so tight, the sound won't pass through. We're plugging up that tunnel. And somebody went down that side passage, didn't listen. I was working with kids. No wonder they didn't listen. But they didn't listen. They went down the side one and they, they were like, it's a dead end. I'm, uh, help, help. And we're like, back up, back up. So now they're backing up. They're trying to back up. Their feet are hitting my head. I'm trying to back up. And my feet are hitting the head of the person behind me. It was so, so terrible. The way down took about five minutes. The way back up took at least 30. It had to be 30 minutes. And I remember that feeling of sliding out at the very end and looking up and seeing all the lights of everybody that was waiting for me and being like, oh. And I remember one of them saying, so was it worth it, Chris? And I said, absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, that, 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 that cave, that, that room at the bottom was, it wasn't, it wasn't anything. But that curiosity that took me down that tunnel and it ended me up in a place that I didn't really want to be. And then I had to crawl back out. And some of you, that's where you are today. You know that you've told lie after lie after lie. And you've put yourself in a position where you're in this room. And the room's not that great. But you're like, well, I guess I'll just stay here. Let me tell you, you don't have to stay there. But I'm not going to lie to you. That climb back out is hard. I can say it from experience. I can say it from the experiences of other people. I've seen so many people's faces as they get to the top of that and the relief that they get. And some of you, 
you've got someone else in your life who's done this to you. And you've got to make that climb. You went down there thinking this was going to be, everything was fine. And now you've got to climb back out too. But I'm telling you guys, all these things, God wants us to optimize our life. He wants to optimize our, our relationship choices, our sexual choices. He wants us to have the best life. And the way to do that is to make wise decisions. And when you've made a bad decision, to make the hard and wise decision to move out of it. Right? Let me pray for you guys as we wrap up today. Lord, I thank you for each one that's here today. Lord, and I, I really believe that everybody in this room is in one of three places. And Lord, I, I pray for those that are not dealing with this right now. Lord, that they will understand that they ha do not have it beat, that they still have to be vigilant and aware. They still need to watch the streets that they walk down. They still need to watch for the relationships that they, they put themselves in. And Lord, I pray for the ones that right now are, are flirting with this. Lord, they've walked down the street. They're having that conversation with the woman. And, and they haven't done anything wrong. But they're on their way. And Lord, I just pray that they will, they will not just try to resist temptation, but they will run for, from it. They will build walls in their life that protect them from those kind of choices. And Lord, I pray for the ones who have already stepped over the line who are already in a situation that they know they shouldn't be in. They're doing things they know they shouldn't do. And Lord, I pray that you will help them to crawl back out of that hole. And Lord, we know that that's not something that, that is fixed in a day, in a week, in a month. But Lord, it's something that you can change within us. And Lord, I just pray that you'll work in our lives and through us in our relationships to other people. And Lord, I pray that we will not accept counterfeits, that we will build great relationships and that we will avoid that sharp shock that comes at the moral failure. Lord, thank you for all you're doing in and through us and all you're gonna do in Jesus' name, amen.